the Truth News Network. In a world where Orwell is no longer fiction, Huxley is a documentary, corruption is standard operating procedure, and O'Rourke is the female Ocasio-Cortez, the truth is in short supply. Except here, this is TNN, the Truth News Network. And your voice of reality is Dan Newman. Yeah, that would be me. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Tuesdays are always special here. Why is that? Because we have our investigative reporter, Steve Baker, and he's up in Washington, D.C. in the midst of the Oath Keepers trial. That group of patriots have been um, attacked by those on the left, by the January 6th committee, by Democrats, trying to demean people that just believe in the Constitution and their oath keepers because they gave oaths of office when they served in the military, in police force. And after their retirement, they joined this group, and this group is, they have uh, for years made themselves available to peacefully guard people that are at public conventions that are speakers, uh, politicians that go here or there, they don't carry weapons 99% of the time. And that's a big issue about this trial, one of the big issues. Five of the Oath Keepers are on trial at the same time in D.C. And this trial's going on and on and on. We understand that it's about to wrap up maybe as soon as this week. Steve Baker has been there for the entire trial and uh, he has he's he's posted some blasting perspectives and even given us the actual verbiage of some of the testimony on his website we actually published some of it this week at truthnewsnet.org normally he joins us at 10 o'clock top of the second hour of truth news network TNN live but he's half he's got to go 30 minutes early today We'll reach out to him at exactly 9.30 Central Time to let him catch us up on everything going on. Why? Why does he have to go early today? Well, you just have to wait. He's going to tell us about that, and uh, it has to do with the trial. So Steve Baker will join us here. I'll let you know exactly if anything changes, but I don't think it will. Tomorrow, a special guest at 10 o'clock Central Time Republican Congressman Mike Johnson, who had to cancel last week because of uh, timing. They were in the middle of a lot of things going on in D.C. You understand that. But he'll be with us at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. And we're going to dig into the election stuff, where he thinks we are. And I'm going to confront him in front of you. And I'm pretty sure that some of his people are listening and they'll give him a heads up about what I'm going to say. I am besides myself about the southern border debacle, and it's not just one. All of the open border policies of this administration are destroying the infrastructure of their nation and killing tens of thousands of Americans. Now, this is no longer a conspiracy theory. It's a fact. Fentanyl deaths in the United States are unbelievably high. And so I'm going to ask Congressman Johnson, he's an attorney, a constitutional attorney, uh, 
why, oh why, doesn't Congress pass a new federal law that makes fentanyl coming across the southern border a crime and those that are caught are charged with attempted murder? Well, that's what they're here for. That's why they're bringing the fentanyl into the United States, right? They're trying to kill American kids. Why? There's no other reason why they would be coming with that. Yes, they're coming for a dollar, but in doing that, they're attempting to kill Americans with the fentanyl they're bringing across. It would be a great thing to do, but then there's this question mark hanging up out there. If it was a federal crime, They were charged federally. They'll be tried in a federal court. Now, in most cases, anybody, any defendant, would much rather be in a state court because federal court, they're pretty tough there. They're tougher than many of the state judges are across the nation. Not true in every case, but in most cases. But in this case, remember who the players would be. Dr. Dr. Mayorkas, you think he is a doctor. He acts like one. He pontificates, and it doesn't matter what the truth is or what the law is or what anybody else says. He is hell-bent on destroying our southern border and letting anybody and everybody in that wants to come in. How would he respond? Because he would be in the center of these trials, wouldn't he? How would the Biden administration in the Department of Justice. How would they respond? Such a law would not work at all unless it was enforced. That's the big question, and we're going to ask Congressman Johnson that tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock here live at TNN Live, 10 o'clock Central Time, that is. So in the meantime, guess what's happening in D.C.? It looks like there may be some good news, kind of good news. In its latest projection, far-left NBC News says the Republican Party will narrowly win the House of Representatives by a narrower-than-narrow 219-216 margin. If their projection is true, that will bring about a big sigh of relief in one of the rare bright spots in an otherwise disappointing midterm result for the Republican Party. I mean, we went into it. And we actually asked Mike Johnson this on a previous visit with us, what he thought that was going to look like after the election. And he said 30 to 40 seats. And that's just like pretty much every other Republican we're saying. What was supposed to be that GOP wave, and it was one, I'll be honest with you, I was sure of, turned out to be anything but a wave of any kind. When it was all over, Democrats potentially increase their hold on the all-important U.S. Senate by one seat. And they could cement that increase on December 6th if sitting U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock beats Georgia's Herschel Walker in that uh, runoff. They could win another seat, and then that would cement them as having an actual majority without the necessity of the vice president casting a vote to break a tie. Now, what does that mean? If they get that seat 
in Georgia, they can do anything they want. Now, what does that mean? What's in play? How about this? How about changing the structure of the U.S. Supreme Court? Now, what do you mean changing the structure? Changing the number of justices that would sit on the court. They can do that. What would that do? Everything that would come before the Supreme Court, because they would pack it with activist judges, not constitutionally originalist. Originalists are the ones that believe the Constitution is an eternal document just as it's written. Activist judges, they want to change the court and rule and make laws and decisions on laws based on the current activist policies of the day. I won't even go into what that would look like. Now, you can use your imagination. They could dream up pretty much anything. You get into the gender stuff alone. I mean, there would be thousands of lawsuits that would rise to the level of the Supreme Court with everything to do with all kinds of things that most of us can't even imagine. That's one thing. The other thing, killed the filibuster permanently take it away. That gives them the eternal right to bring anything and everything to the floor of the Senate to bring up for a vote, and they would, of course, dominate every vote. It's scary. So, I would encourage you to give some thought to helping Herschel Walker. Because if he doesn't make it, if Raphael Warnock goes back as U.S. Senator from Georgia, that kind of stuff is going to happen. And it, it'll, be, it'll be even worse. They're going to, across the nation, appoint activist judges. And there won't be any way to stop them. Republicans are just going to have to go along with it. We will have the House of Representatives. But in the judicial stuff and the judiciary, the U.S. Senate has sole responsibility constitutionally to handle all of that. It's going to be a rough go. I promise you, it's going to be a, a rough go. Now, we, we're going to talk today about what's going on with Donald Trump. You know, he has made that announcement tonight. He is going to make some announcement. He made an announcement that he's going to make an announcement tonight. And everybody's speculating it's going to be to announce his run for the presidency in 2024 there's this little thing going off in the back of my head. And I wonder, I wonder if he's going to do it. Why do I wonder? Because the way Donald Trump rolls, he typically, he typically goes away from the traditional line of thinking that people have on pretty much everything. When he was in business, just business, that's the way he was so successful. He did unexpected business things. And in most cases, they worked out for him. Not always, but in most cases, they did. He's not traditional in any way in his thinking. Other than this, he is now a hardcore political conservative. Nobody can doubt that. If you look back at everything that ran across his desk in his four years as president, beginning in 2017 in January when he took his oath of office, all of that four years, 
non-traditional bills were presented. Almost all of them passed. The only ones that of his non-traditional ideas that he couldn't implement were because Congress wouldn't let him. So what's going to happen with Donald Trump going forward? Let's talk about that for a second. I'm not advocating anyone or anything. I want to understand and describe something that's happening, or maybe it's already happened, something that I might add really surprises me, something whose processes I'm not sure I quite understand. It might be something in the nature of a political shift, a sudden change in the narrative that gets strength and adherence the longer it hangs out there. I wonder, though, whether it's as definitive or as strong as it seems. Maybe it's a temporary wrinkle in the narrative rather than an unalterable change. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the sudden shift in the narrative regarding Donald Trump. That shift has a corollary right alongside, which is a corresponding shift in the narrative about Ron DeSantis. At the same time, at the end of October, the narrative was that Trump had the GOP base sewn up. It was going to be Republican all the way. Both sides of Congress, right? Everybody liked Ron DeSantis, but no one thought he could challenge the Donald in the 2024 election cycle. You remember Megyn Kelly's message on the Rubin Report a few weeks ago? It epitomized her message did the prevailing assumption about Trump and DeSantis. Were Trump to run, Kelly said, he would crush any opponent, including Ron DeSantis. You really think the hardcore MAGA is going to abandon Trump for DeSantis, she asked? They're not. They like Ron DeSantis, but they don't think it's his turn. She also said Trump's backers think DeSantis owes his political career to Donald Trump. They would never cross Trump for Ron DeSantis. Now, is this still the case after the election? I don't know. But even before the midterm elections, I saw cracks and fissures in the facade. Trump made fun of DeSantis, calling him desanctimonious. That said, head shaking, tons wagging. Everybody, Trump supporters included, thought it to be ungracious at best. Well, ungracious it might have been. It was also entirely Trumpian. Anybody recalls his past string of nicknames for his political opponents, Low Energy Jeb, Little Marco, and those names go on and on. It looks like DeSantis may challenge Trump for the Republican nomination. Trump is getting ready. But I suspect that Trump's Trumpian ridicule may be playing a minor role in the sudden revulsion against Trump. A bigger factor has been the outcome of our midterm elections, in which the prophesied red wave failed to materialize. Many of Trump's favorite candidates lost to the mail-in candidates fielded by Democrats. But I suspect 
that the most important factor in the newly minted anti-Trump pro-DeSantis narrative lies elsewhere. I think it's the product of a carefully orchestrated intervention by powerful media and Trump forces. Some people think of the Rupert Murdoch media empire being sympathetic to Trump. It isn't. But because it's still perceived a conservative or at least GOP-friendly, not the same thing, many Republicans assume that it must also be Trump-friendly. A quick look at the coverage Trump has gotten on Fox lately, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, elsewhere, should correct that impression. Like the establishment wing of the GOP, the Paul Ryan, Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney wing, that huge media concession is profoundly unhappy with Donald Trump. Now, it's not because of January 6th, as it sometimes is said, or because of Trump's prickliness or his ungracious rhetoric. It's because of his anti-globalist, pro-populist, which means pro-American worker stance. Trump represents an existential threat to the globalist paradigm, according to which national sovereignty takes a back seat to transnational aspirations. I suspect that Trump's real, unforgivable tort, and it's the reason that Michael Anton may well have been correct when he noted this summer that the people who really run the United States of America have made it clear that they can't and won't, if they can help it, allow Donald Trump to be president again. Anton saw the reality of that expression of political power. When he wrote, the poll said that Trump was unchallengeable. But to the governing consensus, he was impossible. It took a little while for that reality to make itself felt. And now, it's clearly out in the open. What will it mean going forward? Well, we don't know yet. DeSantis is flavor of the month. We know he has tremendous appeal in Florida, at least. How he might play on the national stage is unknown. Trump has promised a big announcement tonight. Most observers don't believe that he'll be advertising Joe Biden's favorite flavor of ice cream at Trump Tower. Most people think he will announce his candidacy for president in 24. So how will that come over? There are many people who assure us that Trump's day in the sun is over that is yesterday's news. I don't know if they're right. I do remember, though, that many people in 2016 told us all that Trump was impossible, that he could never win, that when did he win, he could never survive. Before he and his gorgeous bride even came down the escalator in Trump Tower, I told you, That was before all of the hoo-ha started. I said publicly, and I wrote, I published it publicly, that Donald Trump would be the next president of the United States. For four years, 
We were told that bombshells had been dropped, that walls were closing in to hasten Trump's walk into the sunset. Maybe this time it's true. Maybe it's true. Maybe. I don't know about you, but I'm going to wait and see. I haven't signed the orange man off in my mind yet. Join us tomorrow morning after he makes his big speech tonight. And maybe, just maybe, we'll have a little idea of what's going on in Trump world. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember the naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Do you mind? I was in a good place, and the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take Take care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorised by the Queensland Government. Here's to choice. To making your voice be heard. To getting exactly what you want. Especially when you eat. At Subway restaurants, you choose your freshly baked bread, meats, cheese, and veggies to make a sub that's just right for you. Come in and create yours today. Subway. Eat fresh. Disruptive may be just another overused buzzword, but disruptions in business like network downtime, data loss, social media abuse, and limited bandwidth are downright disruptive. For businesses large or small, Barracuda Networks offers powerful, affordable, yet easy-to-implement content security, application delivery, and data protection solutions, all designed to prevent disruptions and simplify IT. For an online demo or to try any of our security or storage solutions risk-free for 30 days, visit barracuda.com disruptive. I really miss him. I was a huge fan of Bill Withers. He passed away last year. What a great loss to the world. He had some unbelievable songs out there. And he he was cut from a different cloth. Nobody could quite put their finger on who he really was when he was in music world. Um, I saw a concert with him at Louisiana Tech. Now, I'm aging myself. (laughs) Now, just because he died last year doesn't mean I'm going to die because we're about the same age. He was actually, I think, four or five years older than me. I'm going to tell you this quick story. Oh, by the way, if you just joined us, Steve Baker normally is at the top of the second hour here. It's when he comes on. He's going to have to come on early. We're going to go live from the courtroom in the federal courthouse in uh, Washington, D.C. with Steve at 9.30 in about six minutes. Why? He may be part of today's trial. Uh, He said when we talk, some of his photos are probably going to be entered into the court record as evidence today. And if that's the case, he's going to have to testify as to their authenticity. 
I have no idea what his thoughts are about it, but nevertheless, we'll find out together here in just a few minutes. But back to the Bill Withers thing. He came to Louisiana Tech University in Ruston, Louisiana, of all places. It's four miles from Grambling State University. And there's a lot of camaraderie between and always have been between those two universities. Grambling, as you know, is predominantly white. Louisiana Tech is integrated, but it is predominantly white. I said Grambling is predominantly white. It's not. It's predominantly black. Nevertheless, there was a a huge contingence of um, Grambling students that came to the Bill Withers concert. And so they heckled him. I mean, all through the first part of the of the concert. And at one point after intermission, he came he came out. They were hollering at him and calling him Uncle Tom because he was doing so well in music and he wasn't playing just black music. He was playing music that appealed to people from both sides of the racial aisle. Why would he do that? He wasn't a defector. He was a professional musician and he didn't want to alienate somebody just because of their race. Now, this happened back in 1971. The world was much more uh, racial than it is today. And I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. It's a fact. This is right after integration in schools. I could tell you about my experience with that. I won't do it today. I'm going to stick with the Bill Withers show. And finally... He had enough of the heckling. He stopped, and most of these students, probably 100, were sitting close together in one part of the front half of the arena where it was it was going on, the concert. And he stopped, put his guitar down, and walked over to him. And he said, listen here, you honkies. You need to understand something. And he pointed to one of his guitarists, there were several with him, and he pointed to this one and he said, let me tell you something about this guy. He's not just a great guitarist. He makes more money doing what he's doing now than 99% of you will make in 10 years. And then he went over to a keyboard musician and he said, this guy will make a 100 times more than you'll make in a decade. You need to learn until you know people. Shut your effing mouth. (laughs) And the rest of the place erupted in applause, as you can imagine. It was just really, really cool. We all thought it it was amazing that he would do that, but it was true. Now, where am I going with this? I don't even remember how I got into this. Let me, let, me, let me think about it for a second. A Democrat legislator is missing from the House of Representatives. I mean literally missing and potentially denying Democrats one vote as they try to stop the Republican narrow majority from taking control, which it looks like they're going to lose that. Who is it? Representative Davis Scott of Georgia. Now, Scott is 77. He's not been seen in public for weeks now, even during his landslide win on Election Day. His disappearance has prompted chatter that he is incapacitated or worse. 
He's expected to appear on January 3rd in Congress to be sworn in as the elected representative for the 13th District of Georgia. The district is south of Atlanta, and it's overwhelmingly African-American. Neither his campaign nor his office has posted any reassuring video of Scott on Twitter or Facebook. They released a photo through his Twitter account with the claim that he was receiving an award. Now, this comes from GOP rival Cesar Gonzalez. The photo has been altered, and they showed a separate picture of the plaque with the date of October 29th, and the picture was of of the plaque by itself. And this is according to Gonzalez. They also had a video on his YouTube channel dated October 29th. Problem is, the foliage behind him was bright green, and we're in fall with multicolored foliage. Turns out they aired the very same video in June. Scott's office, including Chief of Staff Catherine Kerbitz, would not respond to any calls. Kerbitz joined Scott's office four years ago. Something going on. We've heard several things. That's Arlene Charles, the secretary at the Clayton County GOP office. Just an amateurist effort to conceal the obvious. So, There is an elected Democrat, 77-year-old David Scott, and nobody knows where he is. He wasn't even around when he was re-elected. That is crazy, folks. That's crazy. Well, it's time to get the boss on the phone. The boss today would be Steve Baker. And so why don't we do this? I'm going to let you listen to the phone ring, as we call him. Let's see here. Steve Baker. Isn't it interesting? You can just pick up the phone and push a finger on a button and hit it and make a phone call. And so, let's see where we're going here. Here we are. So, Mr. Baker, are you there? And I am not hearing you. As a matter of fact, we have a technical difficulty that I know what it is. And so here's what we're going to do. Steve, I think you can you can hear me. I'm going to go to a quick break. We'll be back with you in two minutes with Steve Baker. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country, making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families and when domestic materials are used the money stays in our communities that's what really matters these people these places that's worth supporting what can milk do well it can turn you into a morning person it can help fuel some pretty tough stuff and it can definitely make cartoons funnier no it can't Oh, well, it can have a little edge. But come on, even kitties love it. It'll keep up with you at any age. It makes engines whir and creme brulee creme. It's one of the easiest labels you'll ever read. And anything that makes this happen is pretty special. In fact, what can't milk do? Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one pound. 
peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. 40 seconds and we'll go live. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. So busy, you don't have time for today's news on TV or newspaper? Never fear. TNN has your answer. Download TNN Podcast to your phone. Catch up with the latest news during your busy day. The Truth News Network. TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. Well, here we are, and I think we've got Steve Baker on the phone with us. Are you there, buddy? I'm here. Whoa, we got, we, we, wait a minute. We got you so loud, you're just... You're just, uh, uh, keep talking. All right. I'm talking. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we hear you fine. You were just really loud. You were crashing oh, everything. Right. So, uh, oh, God. I don't, I don't want to do that. Hey, listen, I know you're probably short on time and I explained a little bit of what your, um, Twitter blast was about. Um, yeah. Give, give us the skinny. And I know you're probably short, so we can't do it a long time, but give us enough so that we really understand what's happening today in the courtroom. Yeah, the quick the quick uh, recap of what happened yesterday morning is very significant in this case. Many of your listeners may be aware of the fact that there is a famous video been uh, broadcast all over the world since January 6th, and it was the rescue of 16 United States Capitol Police officers by Oath Keepers uh, on that day on the east side of the Capitol. I remember that. Right. And uh, when the Oath Keeper who initiated that rescue, at the request of Lieutenant Tariq Johnson of the Capitol Police, when they went in to rescue him, this was captured on film in high definition by a documentary and filmmaker. There's absolutely no way possible that Judge Maida knew that this did not exist. In fact, about two weeks ago, another defense attorney tried to enter this video into evidence and he immediately slapped it down. But yesterday, Mike Nichols was called by the defense as a witness. Who is Mike Nichols? Who is Mike Nichols? Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols is the oath keeper who uh, actually was requested by Tariq Johnson, Lieutenant Johnson, to go and assist him in bringing those uh, Capitol Police officers out of the Capitol. Gotcha. And when, with Mike Nichols and his wife sitting in the courthouse preparing for his testimony, they brought him in. And at that moment, Judge Maida shot the whole thing down. Now, this gets really complicated because the assistant U.S. attorney, the lead prosecutor, 
Jeffrey Nessler had already also subpoenaed Mike Nichols, Mike Nichols himself as a prosecution witness to prove that he had no connection to the Oath Keepers in this trial or any Oath Keepers to the other co-conspirators in the next tri uh, trial that will take place next, beginning next month. Now that, that, that right there is uh, a real conundrum. You can't have, well, I guess you could, um, but both both parties, the defense and the prosecution, are trying to call the same witness, and one wants them to testify on their behalf, and the other wants him to testify on that uh, that group's uh, behalf. Yes, yeah, so this was this was a major conundrum for Judge Maida, which was immediately objected to by Nessler, and then he got up to explain, well, the reason why that he had subpoenaed him was to prove that there was no connection between this Oath Keeper, or actually two Oath Keepers, and the uh, defendants in this trial and in the next trial, the quote-unquote co-conspirators. So what ended up happening, there was a long sidebar, and as a result of this, Maida shot the whole thing down, dismissed the witness, did not allow the video to be produced. But more importantly, Dan... Maida, Judge Maida, pretended on the stand that he was unaware of who this particular witness was and pretended he had never seen the video. And then he feigned to watch the video. They, they did not have the jury in the room. And he watched the entire video as though he had never seen it before, as though he had never heard of Mike Nichols and Tariq Johnson before. And we know beyond any shadow of a doubt, because he shot it down two weeks ago, that he did know who this was. You know what? I, I know how horrible it is, and I know that what I'm about to say nobody wants to happen. But should there be guilty verdicts in this case, that alone would probably sustain an appeal to throw the Absolutely. whole thing out. Absolutely. But you don't. But, I mean, you're talking about these guys are spending tens of thousands of dollars already you don't want them to have to go through that again no i mean when we say no we're, we're talking about hundreds of thousands yeah, of dollars yeah. per per defense uh per defendant just so our audience now, will know if, just so our audience will know if you get in a federal criminal trial and you're a defendant no attorney will start defending you unless you can prove you've got a hundred grand to spend that's exactly right and this is against a federal government with unlimited resources and who have spent millions of dollars preparing their case. Absolutely. Now, Dan, after another break yesterday, another defense attorney approached the stand again and addressed the court, once again argued for the relevancy of this testimony. He shot it down again. But here's the punchline. Last night, as I was working on this story, I found myself photographs that shows three other co-conspirators charged with this seditious conspiracy trial assisting those Oath Keepers in extracting those United States Capitol Police officers. I found it myself. And so what, what, turned, what will that mean? To I turned the it over. What will that I mean turned to it the... over. I turned it over to the attorneys okay. last night. Ah. They texted it out to everybody. 
they met this morning and before the jury came into the uh, courtroom this morning they approached the stand two of the attorneys did and said judge Mato, we have photographs to enter into evidence that shows that the co-defendants in this case now this is not just this trial but also the second trial because Mato himself had to split this into two trials because they didn't have enough co courtroom side to try uh, nine, ten people at the same time. Right. So as a result of that, Meta has agreed to hear their argument again this morning at the break. And this is a big risk on this part because I'm just, just between you, me, and your audience. These attorneys are scared to death of Meta. Why? He can, he can ex exact retribution on their defendants in the sentencing by them continuing to press this issue. But two of them grew a pair this morning and put this before him once again. Just just so our audience will understand who Meta is, this is a guy that he is at the level. He can't go any higher in the federal court system other than one other spot the United yeah. States Supreme Court. Now, keep in mind what I'm about to tell you. The Democrats, if they win the December 6th runoff election down in Georgia, if Raphael Warnock wins that election, they will have total control of the Senate. They will destroy the filibuster immediately and the first thing they're going to do, they've said, is pack the Supreme Court. In other words, right. add, add some more justices. Maida is the name that has been floated around for months now as the next guy. So this is how powerful this judge is in this case. He will, he will likely be appointed first to the circuit court. And I would imagine that that is what his... Um, golden ring is for this trial. So it's po it's political. It's not just legal. What's happening? Uh, this is this. Well, the, everybody knows that this is a political trial. From sure. The, from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. And I I spent um, quite a bit of time this morning with one of Stuart Rhodes' attorneys. Now they've already rested their case, so he has not a dog in this particular fight. But he told me point blank that. Uh, there is absolutely no way that with the facts, as we've all seen them, with something like 15 FBI agents all saying, no, we have no proof whatsoever that these guys were ever ordered to storm the Capitol, to stop the election, to take over the country, doesn't exist. And this is by the testimonies of these FBI agents. But... It's a D.C. jury. Feelings over facts. Yeah. Wow. So where are we in this trial? Do you think we're going to go a long way further, or do you think we're close to wrap up? No. As a matter of fact, uh, Meta is has condensed all of the um, defense uh, attorneys down in their number of uh, witnesses, as obviously evidenced by what he did yesterday. And he is trying to get the um, uh, closing arguments done by the end of this week and hand it to the jury by Monday. Is that a good thing? No, 
it's not. Because if they are handed this on Monday morning, that means that they have only Monday and Tuesday before the Thanksgiving break. And that means the jury will likely rush through their deliberations to get this thing over with. Now, the when the best thing, the best thing for these defendants is that this is that the, the is that the lawyers go into a four corners defense right now, if I can use that, uh, uh, and 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 push this thing long enough so that they are not handed this until after Thanksgiving, and then they have no pressure about family and holiday and travel and that sort of thing. Now, when when the jury makes their decision on this is it's not just this one defendant is it all five it's all five that's correct that's incredible i've never heard of this happening yeah this this is this is a incredible um it's, it's just judicial malfeasance dan i mean there's the the government had almost five full weeks in their presentation and the defense has had less than two weeks is that is that purposeful, or is that what Meta has demanded? Uh, he has he has insinuated all along that they need to hurry up and they need to get this done. And he always uses the excuse that we need to respect the jury's time. Never made that insinuation to the government's case. So let me ask you this. Where is your role in this thing? Is there a possibility you'll be called to verify the authenticity of photos? No, because these photos are published where I found it. I found it on an NBC News site. Gotcha. So I do not have to authenticate the photos. Wow. So this thing could wrap up pretty quickly. Um, I can, if, if they, if they call it, quits every attorney has to come back and do closing arguments right that's correct yeah there there will be um of course the closing argument by the government well first of all the government will present their what they call their rebuttal case yeah that's expected to be fairly short and then the government will uh, give their uh closing argument all five defendants attorneys will give their closing arguments then the jury instructions which is probably the most important thing they will ever hear over this seven weeks that we've been here and then it will be handed to them for deliberation what do you expect Meta to instruct the the jury about this very strange and uh, it's a standalone trial this is a big decision for these jurors to have to make on the lives of five different individuals at the same time yeah yeah well uh, as a matter of fact it's public record and all of the hearings on jury uh, instructions have been available to the public, which means to the media. So I've sat through every one of those jury, uh, jury instruction debates. And obviously the government wants a very, very broad definition of what seditious conspiracy is. And the defense wants a more narrow de- definition. And uh, you can imagine which way Meta is going to fall on that. Yeah, and there was some conversation yesterday about that. I saw in the in yeah. the, the Twitter thread that you did, um, and it, it doesn't look like Mate is going to give up on very much of anything. No, he hasn't. He throws the defense a bone here and there, and you know it when he's doing it on inconsequential matters. 
he'll rule in their favor occasionally, but 90% of the time he's going along with the government's argument. What are your expectations for the balance of this week? Well, it looks like opening arguments could begin as early as tomorrow afternoon, maybe Thursday morning. And it can wrap up in four days? And it'll be wrapped up uh, on Friday, and then they'll have the weekend off, and then probably begin deliberations on Monday. This is incredible. Um, I personally, on your watch and you bringing us these reports on a weekly basis, basically I think this is a uh, a march down we know the verdicts before we even have the trial and the opening arguments. It looks to me like the state is going to try to find these guys guilty of sedition. That's correct. Wow. Okay, what happens to these guys in that case? Well, all five should be, if the jury is fair, will be analyzed separately. Obviously, you have the leader and founder of the Oath Keepers in this particular trial, Stuart Rhodes. Right. On the other end, you have the one guy, his name is Ken Harrelson, who wasn't around for any of the planning, any of the discussions about uh, what they call the DC operations and all of their instructional chats and, and uh, pre, pre-op meetings, that sort of thing. He was talked into going on July 3rd just to provide security for some of the VIP speakers on one of the side stages. A legally permitted side stage on the Capitol grounds permitted by the Capitol Police themselves. And we've seen the evidence of that, including the permit signed by the Capitol Police. So on the one hand, you have the founder of the Oath Keepers. On the other hand, you have a disabled retired military veteran who was a welder for SpaceX who just went up to provide security. He got in the wrong car at the wrong time. Yeah. He got in, ended, ended up charged with seditious conspiracy. And doesn't. And, and this guy, I, I'm telling you, he's apolitical. He's never voted for a president in his life. He doesn't care about politics. Doesn't have Facebook. Doesn't have Twitter. He doesn't follow those things. The guy, no, no kidding, Dan. When his attorney first met him, Ken Harrelson thought the Electoral College was a place where politicians went to school to learn to be politicians. <laughs> has his life changed a little bit in the last few months? Well, he's been in jail for 600 days. Isn't that crazy? This kind of stuff can happen to an everyday American that just is doing something that they conscientiously think is the right thing, and it has nothing to do with anything regarding the law, breaking the law, or even trying to storm... <laughs> The Capitol building. This is incredible that Americans are dealing with this right now. Our government has kept these guys in jail for a year or more about this. Yeah. And and it looks like they're going to get these amazing uh, sentences. And I know there will be a lot of argument about that if it happens. Let's pray that it doesn't. But this right. is nuts. Let me just say this. You know this. We have the ability to look at the IP addresses of computers and phones. Whoever's watching or listening to the show, we can see who's listening. And it's listed by geographical location. I just looked a minute ago. 
I've got 18 pages of people listening from Washington, D.C. I just thought I'd throw that in and let you know. People know that you're on this show. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's just nuts how big a deal well, this is. Yeah, and, and of course, with me tweeting out the fact that I'm going to be making these appearances every week, yeah. including today, yeah. uh, we're, we're just broadcasting that I'm talking about this very thing, and that's oh, and, why they're there. And by the way, we've got about four pages of uh, that place in Virginia. I won't even tell you, but it starts <laughs> with an L. <laughs> four pages this time. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, hello, guys. Welcome. You're on the radar. The, you're on the radar screen, buddy. Welcome to the First Amendment, freedom of speech, <laughs> and the ability to call balls and strikes as we see them. Yeah, and we pray they don't interpret them in the uh, "We'll see you in court, Mister Steve." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, listen. Let me just say this: um, you're doing a great job. You're doing the right thing. You're putting the truth, the truth out there. And this is, to be honest with you, this is a historical event in U.S. history. This is, as far as I know, the first time something like this has ever happened. It looks like our government is trying to railroad a group of young men that are patriots that were out there doing a job that they were doing because of their love of the United States of America and the Constitution. And it looks to me like they did nothing illegal. And they're looking at life sentences if they're convicted. Yeah, 20, 20 and 30 years um, total combined with all the charges against them. Well, this is why I guess we have so many people listening in today. Thank you so much for being out there and bringing us this information that's un, uh, it's unfettered. It's the truth. It's factual. And you're not painting it in any specific way. You're giving us facts. And guess what? You're letting us make decisions for ourselves, unlike what the other side of the aisle does. And I pray and I hope that this will turn out the right way and that justice will prevail. But it's not looking too good for these defendants. Well, we're hoping and praying for the same thing on this end here, Dan. And you know, as they say, it only takes one juror. Yep. And uh, that's what we're hoping for. Let's hope we have one. Steve, keep us posted. And uh, if this ends up ending early or it's going to carry on, please let us know. And even if you want to come back on later in the week and give us an update, feel free to do so. Will do. Hey, thanks, Dan. You're our hero, Steve Baker from Washington, D.C. at the Oath Keeper trial. See you soon. Real Truth, Real News, TNN, the Truth News Network. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. At Akio, we've been making the best in mobile phones for over 20 years. How did we get there? By putting ringtones in every commercial that make you think your phone is ringing. Whether you have a new phone, an old phone, or just leave it on vibrate, we make sure you always hear your phone in our commercials. It's our way of saying, we hear you. 
So don't be silenced when opportunity calls. Pick it up. It's for you. Akio Mobile. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior fry, and value drink. Price participation may vary. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. No identity politics. No political elitism. Read and hear the truth. Always sourced from facts. Real truth. Real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. It's good to have Steve Baker on our team up there. We're behind him 100%, and I just pray he doesn't get caught up in this political correctness that seems to be playing out in that courtroom. He possibly could be drawn in if some of his material that he's blasted out, he was there out on the ground January 6th as a videographer, and some of his video is just exquisite. It's amazing how good he does it. And of course, he switched hats to become an investigative reporter and to bring the big events coming out of this trial to us so that we can bring those to you. Our hats off to Steve Baker and our prayers are for those five defendants that the truth will prevail. Truth and justice will prevail in their cases. So why don't we just do this? I'll just throw this out there. Why don't you pray for these guys? I've been praying for them. And i got to be honest with you. I don't like the fact that in our country, freedom and the First Amendment is constantly under attack, not by people out in the Netherlands of America, but by our government in Washington, D.C. That should scare every American. So why don't we shift gears? Let's talk about some fun things for the balance of the show today. I mean, we've got an hour. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about fun things. The German general public, yeah, we're going to go to Europe, is facing a massive surge in the price of food. Now, you're paying more for food, but not like people in Germany. Listen to this. A contributor to the ongoing cost of living crisis with government statistics released yesterday indicate the overall price of groceries in Germany is up by nearly 40% within just the last year. Many in the country already treading financial water. And let me just say this. I know Germany. I've been there. It is an expensive place to live already. Government stats say 40% rise in groceries. People there are right on the edge, many of them, financially. And it's because of an extreme surge in grocery prices, but energy prices are out the wazoo. The increased cost could not come at a worse time for German citizens. Officials in the country worry that riots Civil unrest remain possible should people be unable to properly heat their homes. At Germany, it gets really cold in the winter. 
According to data published by Federal Stats Agency, the overall price of food rose by 39.4% in one month alone in September compared to the same month last year. Some products saw far greater price rises. Animal produce up just under 50%. The price of potatoes, 73% up within the same period. Supermarkets, been un, left unable to stock certain products at all. Many stores across the country left with empty shelves as inflation sparks a reduction in food supplies, as well as arguments between retailers and producers. For many, the numbers are completely unsurprising. With about 3,000 people taking to the streets of Berlin this past weekend to protest food price hikes. Further protests are ongoing. Many locations in the country now seeing weekly demonstrations against the government on things that like including the ongoing cost of living crisis. But also, listen to this, the ongoing COVID lockdown regulations. Germany's still in the COVID world. Meanwhile, authorities there have repeatedly expressed their fear that the ongoing complex of crisis to do with energy shortages and inflation could result in plain old open revolt in the forms of public unrest and rioting. Can you believe we're having this conversation? We think it's bad here. This is one of the most advanced countries on the planet, Germany. Yeah, they have political differences from us, and they think a lot different from us, but they're very stoic people. I have an attorney, still represents me on business uh, stuff in uh, Switzerland, and it's a female. She is one of three certified financial attorneys by the government of Switzerland. Her father was a prime minister of Germany. She's German. She came up in Germany, and she tried to explain to me the differences between like people in Switzerland and people in Germany. And you got to understand the proximity of German countries to give you an example of what I'm talking about. When I, when you drive here, I live in Louisiana. I'm about 15 miles from the Texas border and 50 miles from the Arkansas, Oklahoma border, you know, that corner up there. That's just like driving through countries in Germany. When I was over there the last time, me and three buddies, we jumped in the car. We left Zurich, Switzerland, went to Germany that day, went to Austria that day. We drove through Liechtenstein that day and then came back to Zurich. We left about 10 o'clock in the morning, got back at 5 o'clock that afternoon. So it's, it's just like states here. And everything is very different in most cases But now, it's not. After the pandemic and the world events of the last few months, German people are dealing with a highly emotional, aggressive, pessimistic mood among the population whose trust in the state, its institutions, and political actors, at least in some parts, afflicted with massive doubts. In this respect, one one government person said this, in this respect, we are likely to be confronted with mass protests and riots. He continued before saying that what the country had 
experienced so far in the coronavirus pandemic in the form of violent clashes on social networks, but also in the streets, was probably more of a children's birthday party compared to what could probably be lying on the horizon. Let me ask you this. Do you see any way that we might see something like this in the United States? Could we see rioting in the streets? I got to be honest with you. My opinion is we're seeing this happen in Germany on some scale. I think if this keeps going down the tubes, and remember, we have two more years of Joe Biden as president, and he made it very clear after the midterm elections, what does this have to do with your decisions? What will you change, Mr. President? And his answer was one word, nothing. He's going to let the United States, its economy, its political system just roll on the way it is. And then that statement that I give to you very, very often comes to mind. You got bad things going on around you. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Say that again. You got problems? Nothing changes if nothing changes. You look at what you're facing today. I got to go fill up with gasoline today, and I hate it. I pay more attention to that now than ever before. And we're blessed here in North Louisiana. I'll pay $3 and a nickel probably today, and I'll cuss when I do that. But I think about my good friend that lives in Santa Barbara, California, and he'll pay $5.50 a gallon today. And then there's up in the Big Apple. A New York City man was beaten to death with a wooden board after he got into a dispute with a mob. Now listen to this. This attack occurred over the weekend, 2.08 a.m. Sunday morning, in front of 4315 Junction Boulevard. That's the address. It's in the Corona neighborhood in Queens. When cops got there, they found a 23-year-old man with a severe head injury. EMS rushed him to Elmhurst Hospital, but he was later pronounced dead. Investigations by cops have found the victim was involved in a dispute with a big group of guys, which escalated to the point where one of the males struck the guy in the head with a big wooden board. The mob fled the scene, heading southbound. The victim was later identified as Esvin Vasquez. He was 23 years old and he lived in Queens. They've not arrested or identified any of the uh, suspects involved. This stuff is happening in the United States of America. What goes on politically, the decisions and the choices that are made, and I'm talking about the good stuff, cutting cost, cutting government spending, doing away with the lockdowns, all those things are good. But when you start getting into Joe Citizen's pocket and he has to pay more than he's ever paid for everything, not just food, not just gasoline, 
but everything. And then Joe Citizen looks at Washington, D.C. and sees what Joe Biden is spending. He's going to get mad, and he should get mad. Americans should get mad at what we are seeing happen with our government. Now, let me just say this. I am confident that violence is no fix, and I pray that we never see that happening in mass scale on the streets of America. But people have a tipping point. And people in authority, including Joe Biden, who said and kind of snickered when he said it, when he was asked what he was going to change politically as a result of the outcome of the midterm elections, what you going to change, Mr. President? And he said nothing. How could any body in politics that's in a position of making decisions that impact every American. How could anybody in the middle of what we are living in today from California to Florida, from Maine to California and Washington, it's everywhere. Massive inflation, shortage of food. We've got people that are cramping down on the American people with their legal actions, legislation, government executive orders. Joe Biden is ripping us apart if it's not legislation like the Inflation Reduction Act, which isn't and won't reduce inflation. The spending is out the wazoo, and we sit here and we look and watch what's going on, and they think it's good for us? Don't you dare disagree with them. Speaking of the Inflation Reduction Act, Stuart Varney. Now, you hear Stuart here pretty regularly at TNN Live. Why? He's a Brit, but he's an American citizen, and he works at Fox News. He's in the finance division. But he is good at, in a couple of minutes, he can put one topic, he can capsule it and talk about and give us a quick fix on what the reality of things are. He did that yesterday. Stuart Varney on Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. A top advisor to the president, Anita Dunn, went on NBC's Meet the Press over the weekend and told us how the Democrats won the midterms with President Biden's kitchen table policies. She said, we haven't seen the full effects yet. She was saying, wait, you've seen nothing yet. It's going to get better. Dunn assumes the results of Biden's policies will be positive, oh, not so fast. The Inflation Reduction Act, first of all, that will do nothing of the sort. It will actually raise taxes on business just as we head into a recession. That's not good policy, and it won't have a positive result. Cutting the price of prescription drugs, oh, well, that doesn't start until 2024. The clean energy policy, it simply raises the price of energy. Look what happened already to heating oil up 20% in October alone. What's this going to do to the inflation rate down the road? The the infrastructure plan, that requires a lot of permitting. Good luck with that. The Greens will hold up everything. The Republicans' very weak performance in the midterms means they have only limited ability to change Biden's policies. Oh, what a shame. They won't turn out as Anita Dunn suggests. 
Inflation stays, the economy slows, the border stays open, and with George Soros' radical DAs winning elections, our cities will continue to be centers of crime. We haven't even talked about that, the DAs that uh, George Soros, you know, he went on the spending spree around the nation, little bitty towns right here in Shreveport, Louisiana. He spent a quarter of a million dollars, one donation, from his Open Border Society or whatever his great society, whatever his big number one not-for-profit entity is, $250,000 to get a activist Democrat lawyer in his district attorney in Shreveport, Louisiana. And he was asked, what in the heck are you doing? Why are you doing that? And it's very obvious. He hates the American legal structure. He knows that the way to destroy the American structure totally is to end the policing of criminals in the United States of America. How's the best way to do that? Leave them on the street. How do you do that? You appoint these district attorneys that they'll let guys that break the law walk. No bail. That puts these people back on the street. Look what just happened last week in New York. This woman, her husband, on video, beat her mercilessly. On video, the judge sees that. This guy was put back on the street with no bail. That new activist district attorney in New York that George Soros funded. No bail. He killed his wife. He went back and killed his wife. That's just one example of what's happening out there. We, we got to understand something. The rule of law and the enforcement of the laws that are part of that are the chief difference between the United States of America and other countries. That along with the freedom of speech are the two biggest things really in the capitalist system that we share with other countries, like-minded thinkers. Those are the differences that make us the greatest country on earth. So why would somebody like George Soros want to do what he's doing? He wants to destroy the structure of the United States. He's a globalist. He's a multi-billionaire. And he has like-minded people around the world that think the same way. And there are a bunch of them here in the United States that think that. They don't like freedom and justice and liberty for every American. They want it to become a country where a small group of well-intellectually-endowed Americans and people that have a lot of money, and because they have a lot of money, these people think they're smarter than everybody else. They may be smarter than some of us, but not everybody else. But they want to be the ones that unilaterally control everything. That is no longer a conspiracy theory, by the way. We're watching it be played out on streets every day. I mean, this big thing that happened in uh, the Middle East over the weekend, this big climate meeting that they had, 400 jets, private jets, all showed up in Egypt for this big convention. 400 jets. Who are the people that were there? Well, it doesn't matter what their names are. You know they're filthy rich if they're flying from parts all around the world 
to Egypt for a conference, 400 jets. How much CO2 were those jets emitting as they flew to Egypt for this conference? It's so hypocritical. It has nothing to do with righteousness, has nothing to do with the rule of law. It's all about political thuggery and destroying the rule of law in the United States of America and other countries around the world. doesn't matter what the political structure is. When they're in charge, they'll pretty much do whatever they want to do. Oh, and if they have laws that they don't like, they'll just change them. Starbucks Via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black flavored lattes and iced coffee. How can we say when you book direct at choicehotels.com, you always get the lowest price in our rooms, guaranteed? Let's get someone to say it with a really low voice. Carl? Lowest price, guaranteed. What about the world's lowest limbo stick? How low can you go? Nice one, Carl. Hey, I've got an idea. Just say, bada book, bada boom. Bada book, bada boom. Nice. Always the lowest price, guaranteed. Book now at choicehotels.com. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee fi fo foam. I smell the. I, I smell uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami, available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. So Steve Baker, he's at this Washington, D.C. Oath Keepers trial. You heard, if you were with us just a little bit ago, that he anticipates the trial ending by Friday, and then it goes to the jury, and he thinks the jury will deliberate. They're going to try their best to end it before they break for the Thanksgiving holiday coming up. But he's going to keep us posted. That might change. Uh, the longer we go through this trial, the more interest we see in the trial, and it's because of what we were just talking about, the rule of law. If the government can just arbitrarily pick and choose what laws they want to enforce and the ones that they don't want to, we really don't have justice at all 
because there are political people at the top that are going to make a decision about whether you did something wrong or not and then force you to fit into their determination of how laws should be enforced or not enforced. Can you imagine what our government is going to look like, which the result of that would be what social life is in the United States? And this is not something that exists in a vacuum. We can already look around the world and see the results of it because there are countries where it's that way right now. So you would think that Americans would have the common sense to look and see what it's like over there and make a choice. Do we want to go to that, which is going backwards? Our forefathers fled governments like that when they came over here. They were running to get away from it. When they established our government, they implemented measures in the Constitution that would prevent our government to ever operate in that manner. And here we have the most important segment of our government, the judiciary. We have a trial going on in Washington, D.C., in the second most powerful court in the nation with the judge that his name is written in a lot of places to be a possible member of the United States Supreme Court. So what does that mean? He's very politically aware of what the trial of the Oath Keepers will do in the news when the results come out. I hate to even think this, but in some cases I would think this guy He's already, when the trial began, he knows what the end is going to be regardless of what the evidence is that shows up in court. And to make sure that it gets to the end the way he wants it to, he's manipulating things in the courtroom, what will be allowed, what won't be allowed, all the way through. And this is a horrible situation, not just for those five guys that are awaiting their verdicts, when the jury gets their stuff done and comes back. It's not just for them. It's for every American and the rule of law. Over the past few years, we've seen where laws can be just arbitrarily ignored by people in our government at every level. In September, as was reported by Breitbart News, PILF, which is the Public Interest Legal Foundation in Minnesota, PILF filed six complaints in six different Minnesota counties. What was this about? They were alleging that more than 500 duplicate registrations were on their voter rolls ahead of the midterms. This month, PILF announced settlements with officials from two of those five counties, Todd County, Olmstead County, and both of those, PILF alleged that more than 30 duplicate registrations were on the voter rolls. Now you say, 30, that doesn't make a difference in anything, really. Well, here's the deal. This is just one little segment. If you think that probably some of this is happening, oh, maybe in just 30 of the 50 states. But if it's happening there, you know it's happening elsewhere. Before Election Day, thanks to settlements with PILF, the complaints were dropped and the two counties removed those duplicate registrations. 
Removing these duplicate registrations made Minnesota's 2022 elections more secure. The innovative legal strategy to free voter rolls maintenance should be used in the other five states that are exempted from the National Voter Registration Act. Still in the other four Minnesota counties, duplicate registrations remain. In Nicolette County, four residents are allegedly registered to vote twice, including a convicted felon, Damian Allen Kingbird, a violent sexual offender who was considered mentally ill and dangerous by the state already. A recent risk assessment of Kingbird revealed as a minor in 1999, he sexually assaulted a 13-year-old girl. In 2017, he pleaded guilty to dragging a woman by her hair into the bathroom of a home in Bemidji, Minnesota, before beating her unconscious, raping her, then stabbing her with a weapon. King Bird served 45 months in prison, was required to register as a sex predator. King Bird, he voted twice in the 2020 election. In Hennepin County, PLF alleges that 334 residents have been kept on the voter rolls who were registered twice to vote. In Ramsey County, 62 residents voted twice, along with 73 residents in Dakota County. So let me give you another state comparison. In Michigan, in Michigan, a lawsuit was filed against the Secretary of State. Why? A company out there that was a research firm hired to investigate those on voter rolls in the state of Michigan found that there were 6,000 people registered to vote in Michigan that are dead. Many of them have been on the voter rolls and a bunch of them voted in the last two elections. Now, that's, that's a horrible thing, but have you heard the real horrible thing about it? When that lawsuit was filed and it made public everywhere in the nation, the Secretary of State denied removing those from the voter rolls in Michigan. It's pretty, it's pretty legitimate for somebody to question the results of our vote votings. I mean, if you look, if you just look at the 10,000 foot level of what we've just gone through and look at the ramp up across the nation, look at the polls, the polls say entirely different results were expected from what happened. Now, why would that be? I didn't read a single poll and we covered them ad nauseum Many times with you, real clear politics, what we do is we pull them up because what they do is they compile the top 20 or 30 polls on every issue, and daily they release those polls to the American people. There was no poll, not a single poll, that came up with the results that actually happened, or at least the ones that were reported that way. Here we go. Dan's going down the election conspiracy theory road. It's not a conspiracy theory, folks. We've given you example after example of actual voter fraud. 
So what are we going to do about it? What can we do about it? Well, the Freedom Caucus in the House, anticipating Republican majority there, they're going to demand some changes to the existing autocratic House rules. Now, what does that mean? Multiple caucus members in the Freedom Caucus. It's led by Andy Biggs, Republican from Arizona. We're joined by other GOP members, conservative policy leaders Monday at FreedomWorks headquarters to run through the rules changes proposed as the Freedom Caucus readies to wield more control in Congress. Now, let me explain this, and I'm going to quote what Andy Biggs had to say. The current autocratic leadership-driven process robs us, and more importantly, our constituents, of having the ability to participate meaningfully in the legislative process. He lambasted Pelosi and House Democrats, who have had majority power for the past four years, for approving rules and procedural changes that gave Pelosi same-day authority to pass legislation allowed Democrats to strip Republicans of committee assignments, permitted proxy voting and virtual participation in hearings and markups, and installed magnetometers outside the House floor to make sure nobody had a gun coming in. Conservative Partnership Institute President Ed Corrigan, who was also present at that event, observed the current congressional rules and procedures favor, guess who? The swamp. I talked about the authoritarians a few minutes ago, and that's what these people are pushing for. That's where the swamp comes from. We've talked about the swamp in D.C. for six, seven, eight years. And it's real, folks. And it's raising its ugly head now. We're seeing it almost daily. So Corrigan... He made some recommendations. He advised Freedom Caucus members to disregard the shadowy steering committee, which is a panel in the House within each party's conference that chooses who, which members chair, and which members sit on various committees. He said ignore them. He suggested the caucus members instead negotiate directly with the Speaker to demand its members have ample representation on committees. Now, this may seem like a benign conversation we're having right now. Like, you know, that's just a little bitty deal. It's not. Think about this. It looks like we're going to have a narrow margin, conservatives are, in the House of Representatives. I saw one and we heard one this morning that it was going to be a three-seat majority. I hope that's not the fact, but even if it is, the House of Representatives is charged, at least for the next two years, to be the sole representatives of the heart of conservatism in every piece of legislation and oversight that they do, every single one. There's not one that will be too small, that will be unimportant. And honestly, in my, in my opinion, Based on a lot of things that I see and hear, my personal opinion is that if we don't get it right in the next two years, it will be wrong for at least a decade going, farther, uh, going forward, 
And it'll take that long to get it back, even if we ever can. And get it back. Define that, Dan. I define that as when we have in Congress, both houses, the House and the Senate, when we have one party that has control in one and the other party control in the other, and even when there's one party control and it's just the Democrats or it's just the Republicans, that even though you have control, you sit at the table with your fellow members in the House of the Senate who with you serve together, that you sit at the table and legitimately communicate about all the issues for the specific people you represent and that we stop making all of our legislative decisions based totally on the political party slant. Corrigan urged the House rules to be changed to reinstate a vacate the chair motion. Vacate the chair. The motion was made popular by former Freedom Caucus Chair Mark Meadows, who used the little-known rule in 2015 against then-Speaker John Boehner, which contributed to Boehner resigning later that year. Meadows, who went on to serve as former President Donald Trump's chief of staff, was also present at the event on Monday to impart rules advice. Matt Gates, Republican from Florida, and any establishment firebrand, he's not in the Freedom Caucus. He condemned the current House rules structure as one that allows Congress members to get away with casting bad votes, no accountability. Gates said this, the broken rules of the House of Representatives are not a bug of the system. They are a feature of the system. We have built something that is purposefully mystified so that corrupt, bad decisions don't get exposed and so that members of Congress aren't held accountable when they vote for bad things. Evil happens in the dark. And these people, 435 of them, they have learned how they can skirt the purview of the American people almost totally. And it's a system, and they all know how to operate it. That's what Gates is speaking about. He said rules amendments that he plans to offer include a lifetime ban on Congress members becoming lobbyists, a ban on Congress members trading individual stocks, and a single subject rule when voting on massive legislation. In other words, it's time, and I've felt this for decades, it's time for Congress to take up one bill, and that bill include one specific thing for every bill. If it's not good enough to be a standalone process, it doesn't even need to be considered. It doesn't need to be bundled in with another bill. We have so many times watched them vote to pass a bill. They pass a bill and it's got 50 different issues included in it. And they're just pork. They're not sufficient to be a standalone. That means they don't need to come to the American people. Gates said he was incensed as a freshman when he had to vote on the farm bill and whether or not to authorize war in Yemen in the same vote, 
They do that purposefully every day. Freedom, and and it's not just Democrats, folks. Republicans do the same thing. Freedom Caucus Chair Representative Scott Perry, who's a Republican from Pennsylvania, he wasn't at the event, thoroughly detailed numerous changes the Freedom Caucus plans to propose in a lengthy document crafted in October for incoming members. Republicans are going to hash out their conference rules tomorrow as well as amendments to House rules that they plan to bring to the floor for a full vote in January. One good thing coming out of what's happened the last few years. And we'll talk to Congressman Mike Johnson about it tomorrow morning. By the way, he'll be on the show live at 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Washington, D.C. time. But one of the things we're going to talk about are the changes that are in the offing. Now, Mike is actually one of a handful of people As you know, we talked about it yesterday for a long time. There's pushback by many people in the House of Representatives against Kevin McCarthy just walking in and becoming the House Speaker. Now, that's unusual. It's not a rift in the Republican Party. It's actually looking at factual information. I publicly have never been a fan of Kevin McCarthy. Republican from California. He's the minority leader now in the House of Representatives. So he's got a lot of, of, uh, a lot of leading in his rearview mirror and pulling people together as the House minority leader. But I just think he is plugged in to that mainstream Republican, uh, group that feed the swamp, that every bill that they put out there, every bill they block, everything goes towards one thing, and is that to keep their power and keep the ability to pass or to reject anything that doesn't feed the swamp. Republicans are going to hash this all out tomorrow and on Thursday. We'll keep you posted on the results. I know it doesn't sound fun. It's something that, you know, we don't like to spend a lot of time on, and I don't, but I just spent all the time we're going to spend on it unless something big happens, but we'll keep you posted. Just for a moment, I want to talk to you about the Democrat race against Kerry Lake in Arizona. This is for the governor's race. Katie Hobbs was her opponent. Now, Katie Hobbs is a Democrat, obviously, and she's now the projected winner of the gubernatorial race over Republican Carrie Lake. The Associated Press called the race for Hobbs at 9.20 Eastern time last night. Took a week for that decision to come up with. With more than 95% of the statewide vote reported, Hobbs garnered 1.2 million, that's 50.41%. 1.244 million voted for Kerry Lake. Hobbs led by 20,481 votes. So there's really no way Lake could get any votes enough sufficient to bridge that gap. Now let me, let me just tell you this. This is a week after the election. Somebody made a joke. I'm going to tell you what the joke is in a second. And it may be, it may be real. Why, oh why, 
is it taking so long to count votes now? For a generation, we counted votes every time we had an election. We knew the results by late evening. Every single time. What happened? It was this big push for mail-in ballots. And just listen to what I'm going to tell you. In my mind, we don't have to have the delay. We really don't. Everybody knows who's running for every position months before the election day. And I'm talking about from top to bottom, federal, state, and local. Everybody knows. When you register to run for a political office in all 50 states, there's a cutoff date. You can't go register to be a candidate in that race after that particular date. And in most cases, it's at least six months. But in most cases, candidates that want to run, they're going to register to run way before six months. Many of them a year. Example, Donald Trump. Speculation is he said he was going to make an announcement tonight, the 15th. Speculation is he's going to announce a run to repeat as president of the United States, and he wants to run and be the candidate of the Republican Party two years from now, in 2024. If that's the case, he's already decried it. He'll go officially enter the race. Um, I'm just talking about how long most people have to choose who they want to vote for. Now, we have people that live overseas. We have military people that live overseas. And it takes some time for them to get their votes to the United States to be counted in every election. But isn't it reasonable to expect results in every election, on election day, and to make our choices, make our decisions of how to process mail-in ballots, which are supposed to be the big lag in all of this, to get them processed and get there before election day or have a cutoff of the date that they can be received but can't be received later than election day. Any vote that would come in after that, but states are finding ways to purposely relax the rules. My question is, why? Why would they do that? There's no justification because they don't have time to get them in. No, 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 no. That's not a truthful justification. If they know the deadline, they'll vote according to the deadline if they know their vote won't be counted. What else could be a possible reason for that? There's only one other one. They don't want to close the election results down until they realize where they stand on every candidate that's running, every race. Isn't it interesting? And it goes back to 2020. uh, 20, it wasn't 2020. It was 2018. Well, let's see. Donald Trump 
was elected in 2016. Yeah, so it was 2020. You go back to that election. We saw that night, election day, at about 9 or 10 o'clock, they shut down. Five states, they just together basically said, hey, we've got problems. We're going to do this overnight. The one in Georgia was a broken water pipe and the, the place where all the votes were being counted. And that facility is massive. There's no way, if a pipe broke, that it could not be secluded to one area and they could keep on working. In fact, we find out later there was no busted pipe. Other places, it was pontification going on. What happened overnight? When that happened across America, Donald Trump had a huge lead. The next morning we wake up, they were not supposed to do any counting that night, but they did. The next morning we wake up and Joe Biden's in the lead and Joe Biden won. That just leaves a bad taste in the mouth of millions of Americans. And you can call them MAGA nuts, you can call them mega MAGA nuts, whatever you want to put on them as a label. They're not going to go away. And if Donald Trump doesn't run, and if he runs, he doesn't get elected, everybody needs to understand this. You're talking about a multi-billionaire. Now, we don't know. I haven't heard his net worth since he left the White House, but I guarantee you the Trump operations, all of them rolled in together. They went way down in net worth while he was serving the people as president of the United States. Say what you will about Donald Trump. You don't like his hair. You don't like the way he talks. You don't like him labeling political opponents with a name that is derogatory. You know what? Almost every Republican and conservative that's not registered as a Republican that I know feel this way. I hate that. When he was campaigning for office back in 2016, even before then, 2015, when he was campaigning, I hated the way that he would communicate when he talked about other people, opponents and even people in offices already in the United States and people overseas. Very derogatory labels. I hated that. And I have good friends, very close friends. In fact, my foster brother, who despised Trump for that. But when it came time to vote, he basically held his nose and he voted for Donald Trump. Why? The first time people that voted Trump did it by faith because he told us all the things in detail that if we were, if we elected him, what he was going to do. And he convinced us that he would do every one of them. And Americans believed that this guy was the first guy in recent history to run for president that was really going to do what he said he would do when he was campaigning. And Trump did just that. And we, every American, John Q. Public, the guy parking cars, all the way up to the guy sitting in Wall Street, everybody profited in their lives, not just financially, but across the board. 
under a Trump administration, that's all gone. Everything. Joe Biden obliterated all of it. Now, am I a mega MAGA person? No, I'm not. I'm a registered independent, and here's the reason why. I live in the South. I live in Louisiana. Many years ago, for a long time, all of the primaries were closed. If you were registered as a Republican, you could only vote in Republican primaries. Democrat primaries only if you were a registered Democrat. But if you were an independent, you could weigh in on all elections, including both parties' primaries. And then, of course, in the general election, you can vote your heart for the ones that are left that you think is best to run the state. That's why I did it originally. But then I began to look at getting into this business that I'm in, and I felt like I needed to be palatable to people from every party. So I registered as an independent. But you can tell by the content of this show and what stories we publish at truthnewsnet.org, we're conservatives. And I'm probably more conservative than 90% of the people that are registered Republicans. And it's not, I don't buy in on everything the Republican Party does. I didn't buy in on everything that Donald Trump said or what he did. I think he messed up in the White House regarding COVID-19. He messed up when he brought Anthony Fauci into the whole conversation and gave Fauci the authority that he did. And people died for that. But you know what? You know why Anthony Fauci was there? Donald Trump is a manager. What does that mean, Dan? A manager is a manager if it's a good manager and that manager has good results, which Trump did. He made some bad business decisions in his career, but he was far more positive at making decisions that were the right ones. That's what a good manager does, recognizes both. But the difference is Donald Trump was a good manager, and good managers do this. When there's somebody in their inner circle that works with and for them that doesn't fit, this good manager finds somebody else that fits and can do those things. A good manager recognizes they don't know everything about what they're managing. They can't possibly know everything and make every decision. So they bring people in that are experts in the various areas. They empower them, give them all the tools that they need to be successful in those things, and then hold them accountable. Hold them accountable. Listen to the difference. Donald Trump dumped people that were brought in that couldn't do the jobs that they were brought in to do or didn't do the jobs, whatever reason, he dumped them. It had nothing to do with him being evil. That's what good managers do. They know what works. They know the people that will work, and they make changes that are good. Donald Trump was and is a good leader. That's number one. Number two is he had very creative ideas, ideas that many in the United States had never thought of. And he brought the people in that could best implement those things. What did he do? When Donald Trump became president, where where did your gas prices go? 
Where did your mortgage rates go? Where did your credit card rates go? What about prices in grocery stores? What about prices for cars? What about prices for airline tickets? And we could go on and on and on and on. Those didn't just happen. They were implemented by a process that this guy put in the government and it came from his successes in the corporate world. You know, that capitalistic world that Democrats in large part despise today. Donald Trump figured it out a long time ago. He made it work in the private sector and he proved that it could work quickly and effectively in the public sector, which destroys the philosophy that Democrats are pushing now more power at the top, more power over the people and do away with this enforcement of the laws that are on the books and let those people decide what's best for the people of the nation. And it didn't take Joe Biden to take us back to that. And that's where we are living today. And between now and 2024, you can bet it's going to get worse. Joe Biden, he told us it was going to get worse. When he was asked because of what happened in the midterm elections, what would he change? He said very sarcastically, and cheesed when he said it to the person that asked him the question. Mr. President, what are you going to change? And he said, nothing. That's our president today. And look at what he's done in two years. So why would any of us expect him to do anything different? Look at the immigration problem at the southern border. Do you think that's accidental? It was purposeful. They don't want borders. Joe Biden doesn't want borders. He wants anybody and everybody to show up whenever. Come to the United States. Come visit. Come stay permanently. We'd love to have you. It doesn't matter about that legal thing, those federal laws that were passed that made sure we had a border. If you don't have a border, you don't have a country. Joe Biden was in Congress when the current federal immigration laws were passed. He voted for them. And now he thumbs his nose at the rule of law. And he tells his secretary, handpicked secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, just do what you want to do. And every day, We're averaging 2,500 illegals now coming across our southern border. No retribution for doing it. In many cases, we have no idea what they're bringing in and who's bringing stuff in. The sex trafficking industry in the United States and from the United States is at epic proportions around the world. I talk to friends in other countries. They tell us that that this is the place. If you want to traffic kids, get a hookup with the Mexican cartels because they're bringing them into the United States and you can get traffic kids by making a phone call or two. Steve Baker, you heard him on the show today. 
He was in Houston several weeks ago, and he hooked up with a group that are investigators, finding kids in Houston that have been trafficked across our southern border, brought to Houston, and they're set up for sex laborers. And th- this is happening in the United States of America. If Joe Biden didn't want it to happen, the first thing he would do would be to enforce the rule of law. So look what's happening in the Big Apple today. New York City's residents are going to pay at least $600 million for their influx of illegals coming from Texas because Texas Governor Greg Abbott is busing illegals to New York just to show the rest of the nation what the southern border states have been dealing with. For months, months, Abbott has been sending border crossers and illegal aliens on buses to a number of sanctuary jurisdictions across the U.S. That includes the Big Apple. Almost immediately, Mayor Eric Adams of New York told New Yorkers to get on board with waves of illegal immigration, burdening schools, infrastructure, homeless shelters, and subways. So what's that costing them? A new estimate from the Independent Budget Office finds that the arrival of now nearly 24,000 border crosses and illegal aliens to New York City, it's going to cost New Yorkers $600 million over the course of a year an additional $250 million if about 10000 more arrive on buses in the coming months. America, to stay America, must fundamentally enforce the rule of law. If we can't do that, we won't have borders. If we don't have borders, we don't have a nation. Wow, what a way to end the show. Thank you, folks, for being here. Thank you so much. Don't forget Congressman Mike Johnson tomorrow at 10 Central. They paid paradise and put up a fucking line. With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? They paid paradise and put up a fucking line. Took all the trees and put them in a tree museum And charged the people a dollar and a half to see them No, 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 don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got till it's gone You'd be in paradise and put up a fucking lie
night I heard the screen door swing And a big yellow taxi took my girl away Now don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got till it's gone To be in paradise, put up a parking lot Hey nah nah, don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got till it's gone To be in paradise, put up a parking lot Why not they pay paradise to put up a parking lot